This is KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine, and this is Get the Funk Out. Standing by to join me is award-winning writer, broadcaster, performer, and comedian, Alice Frazier. And I just had a chance to watch her show, Savage 2020. That's when it was released. And I loved it. So I reached out to her and here she is. Thanks for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it. You know, I honestly never thought I'd get a hold of you. I thought, oh, she's probably so busy. I don't know if she'll want to do this. Uh, this is great. No, not at all. Uh, I am just in the same as everyone else. I'm just stuck at home doing my work. So I've got a lot of time in the world these days. Now, where are you connecting from? I am in Sydney in Australia. I came back in March of 2020 for, uh, I packed for six weeks for the comedy festivals. Uh, I was living in London and I have been here ever since. Had to put all my stuff in storage in London and, and my life over there on hold. Um, so much like everyone else, this was not the year I expected. Of course not. Do you, do you find, though, there are a, a few little glimmers of light, a few little unexpected positive things? I mean, for me, absolutely. For me, I have been so incredibly lucky. Uh, my twin brother was moving back from London literally the day that I flew out. He and his wife and baby flew out. So I've been here with my family in Australia right. where we've been, you know, very, very, very lucky in terms of the management of the disease. We have um, no cases in New South Wales and haven't had for, for a month now. We've been very good with quick lockdowns and then back to freedom. So mm -hmm. like I, I've been so lucky. Last year in January and February, I was getting this daily satirical news podcast set in an alternate dimension uh, off the ground. It was a ridiculous project, so overwhelming. And I was <laughs> kicking myself because I was like, I'm not doing enough live work. This is so much work. Sure. Like, this is a full-time job, I was thinking. Right. Uh, you know, everyone else is getting their shows ready for the live uh, festivals in Australia and in the UK. We tend to have a, a festival circuit, which means we turn over a new hour of material every year. And I was so far behind. And my show Savage was coming out on Amazon Prime in April, the middle of the Melbourne Comedy Festival. So I was not going to wow. get any press or no one was going to watch it. Um, and between one day and the next, I went from sort of being very stressed out about that to being the luckiest person in the world, you know, just really... Yeah incredibly fortunate. Mm. I, I actually was following what's been going on in Australia and I thought that's where I'd like to be right now because it's crazy here. Yes, yeah. I mean, one of the things I do is, is news satire and it's, it's really upsetting to see America um, struggling so much and suffering so much and all of the things that, um, you know, I don't want to commentate on your country too much, but all of the things that you were um, papering over all the cracks in society that were sort of just being held together by people's force yes. of will and yes. belief in the American myth. All right. of a sudden, all of those cracks had this bright light shone through them. And uh, it, exactly. yeah, it's, it's, it's a really hard thing to watch. Yes. And I'm in California and we've been hit tremendously. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. brutal out there. It, it certainly is. So I'm, I have a friend in Adelaide. I'm thinking, hmm, maybe I should get on a plane. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Two weeks of hotel quarantine and then you're back out in the population. Oh, gosh. I'm ready. Well, so let's jump in. I want to find out, um, because I did watch your show and I, I loved it. There were so many parts of it I loved. Um, 
but I want to back up and find out how you got to where you are right now. Huh. This is that is such an interesting question because I think you know how it you always trace a line back from where you are to where you started and that right. sort of all seems to make sense yeah. but really you know one thing happens after another I can give you kind of a, a potted history of Alice Fraser um, which is I grew up here in Sydney uh, with my twin brother and my, my mother and my father in this very falling down um, boarding house that was owned by my grandmother who was a holocaust survivor and she had this habit of she was a terrible landlady she would <laughs> In both directions, she'd never fix anything, but also she never charged anyone any rent. She <laughs> gathered this ensemble of of really damaged people um, who I found out when I grew up much later in life um, all had these incredible stories. They were all refugees of one kind or or heroes or rebels or, and again, very damaged people, very um, sure. eccentric people, but I grew up in that house. Um, and it's sort of, I think, that is really shaped the core of my work, which is to recognise the humanity in other people and to make my audiences aware of the humanity of the people around them, to make you feel more human and to make you more conscious of the people around you and their humanity. That's kind of, if I have a project, it's that. I went to school, uh, went to university, studied law. Um, law? <laughs> lived in, yes. I was a lawyer. I was a lawyer, lawyer for. I was a lawyer. I practiced law. I did corporate uh, law. I worked at a um, an investment bank, and I worked at a very top tier law firm, very corporate law firm. And neither of those things suited me. And so I retreated to comedy, and I've been doing that ever since 2012. Is when I quit law. Did you always have a sense of humor? <laughs> I, I th this is an interesting thing because one of the things I love about comedy, one of the things I love about comedy is that I am not naturally a comedian. Um, and I, uh, sounds oh, really dumb. You find the funny in life. You find the funny in characters. You can, you can find, I feel like you study people. I do. I'm interested in people. I'm naturally interested in people. I'm naturally interested in the process of taking something complicated and overwhelming and incohate and turning it into words, translating it into something that, that another person can understand, how you get an idea in your head, how you get an idea in someone else's head. I'm fascinated by that. Um, I studied rhetoric at Cambridge um, as my master's degree, and I'm obsessed with that. But I'm not naturally funny, and it means that... Um, when I decided to do comedy, I was embracing the idea that you can only get good by failing. And I was so afraid of failing before that. I had a sick mother. You don't want to rock the boat. I was a good kid. Mm -hmm. I was afraid of failure. Many women, I think, are. It's one of the reasons why there aren't that many women in comedy, because the only way to get good at comedy is by falling flat on your face a thousand times. <laughs> And there was something about that process. I started doing it at university just for fun on the side. And it was, it was fun because I didn't care. It wasn't personal. I didn't think of myself as a comedian. Yes. I was just doing comedy and I wasn't very good at it and I was getting better at it. And then I got addicted to that process of getting better by failing and, and embracing failure and embracing risk um, rather than doing the things that I was you know, meant to be good at. Mm -hmm. There's something very intimidating about being told that you're 
you're meant to be good at something or that you're meant to be talented in the same way, uh, you know, in Australia, I don't necessarily always feel like I fit in. And it's much more upsetting to feel like you don't fit in in your home country, in your hometown, in your in your home than going to the UK where I was living. And then you're meant to be an outsider. Right. It's much easier to be an outsider right. in a place where you're meant to be an outsider. Anyway. Do you still, do you still feel like you don't fit in? Always, always. Uh, I think I always feel a little bit on the outside. Um, I'm better now in terms of, I, I, I feel a little bit on the outside, but I don't feel like I don't deserve to be where I am I feel I feel fairly confident and I think that was last year's project the last post which was a very silly podcast this daily podcast writing 15 minutes of comedy every single day of a 366 day year really knocked my imposter syndrome on the head Mm -hmm. I'm like oh no yep I've done the work I deserve to be here I deserve to be in the room I would definitely say so it's what I what I really like about your performance in your latest project is you are not trying to be funny, but you're just showing different sides of yourself and the way you think of things, and it, it comes out as hysterical because you're just being uh, you. It seems like you're just being you, but you're also relatable. So this is simultaneously a compliment and possibly an insult no but, uh no because uh savage is so deliberate but part of what is deliberate is the impression that it is not mm-hmm. that show to me is you know it started i can tell you that the core of the when Wait. the show started was two weeks before the sydney comedy festival um i called shane smith at the sydney comedy store and i said hey I have to cancel this show. My mum is dying. I can't write comedy. I don't have a show. I don't, like, I, yeah. like I can't do it. And he said, uh, very kindly, and I'll always remember this, he said, you can cancel until five minutes before the doors. You mm-hmm. can cancel. Just, it just we'll, we'll refund all the tickets. We won't make a fuss about it. So just leave it on the books. And so, <laughs> indeed, on the night, you know, I, I went in and I had I had printed out all of the jokes that I was telling at the time, all of the, you know, club jokes sure. and all of the things, I'd, all the jokes I'd written on Twitter and all the punchlines I had from articles that I'd written. Mm-hmm. And then on the right-hand side, after this encounter that starts the show, I'd written this furiously angry explanation of my experience with my mother's suffering and her MS. And... I stood on stage and I thought, how many jokes, how many points of light do I have to tell this audience before I give them another piece of this mm-hmm. gut punch, before I smack them in the face? It's <laughs> uh, why I call the show Savage, because it, it is how, how, how much do I have to make you like me before I can show you this thing that you do not want to look at. Most people want to look away from suffering and from chronic illness and from grief. And how do I make you look at this? And how do I make you enjoy this? And how do I make, bring you into this Mm -hmm. with me? Um, And the other really sort of, I guess, crafted part of it 
other than this balance of darkness and light, because I never wanted to make fun of my mum's illness. I never wanted to ridicule it or make light of it. That's one way to deal with horror and grief. You know, that Mel Brooks style is making light of it and poking holes in it and making it silly. And I never wanted to do that. So for me, it's balancing the light and dark so that there's enough comedy that it's still funny throughout, but without making light of my mum's suffering. And the other thing was how little of this story can I tell while communicating the truth of it, because I didn't want to expose my family. I didn't want to expose my mum. You know, she asked me not to make her into a pathetic creature. I, how much of it could I hold back while and protect my family while still telling this really important truth that I wanted to communicate? Sure. Um, so it gives the impression of being incredibly open, mm-hmm. but actually there are huge you know, the vast majority of that story is missing. It's a very selective razor thin slice of that experience. My twin brother is not in the show at all. And he's my twin brother. He is obviously a massive part of of my life and of that experience. But you want to protect them. You know, you didn't want to expose everybody. Yeah. Well, you know, my my brother asked explicitly not to be in my comedy. and, And, you know, again, as I said, I didn't want to, I didn't want, I didn't want people to feel used or exploited or exposed. What I wanted to do was make audiences understand the feelings. So it's about, as with so many things, it's about which truth you tell because there are a lot of things that are true at the same time. You know, the sky is blue, that guy on Twitter is an asshole. You get to choose which truth you focus on. Those things are, of course, the sky can be lots of different colours and that guy is probably fine, but the point stands. (laughs) Right. Okay, so I want to explain something to you. My show is called Get the Funk Out. Uh And the reason being is because I was in a massive funk end of 2010 because my friend died. And I was completely destroyed. It was totally unexpected. So I started the show and it became a way for me to work through my grief, but also give other people a platform for their grief, share their stories. And when I saw you and I heard about your mom, But along my journey, my dad had stage four cancer. So when I was watching you, it just, it was so raw and it just, it just hit me. And I thought, oh, I would just love to have you on and connect with you because did you find that comedy and just your, your skills helped you through your grief, helped you find a little light? stay strong absolutely yeah so so the one of the worst things about grief (laughs) there's a lot of bad things about grief there's a lot of worst things about grief but one of the worst things I find is the helplessness Mm. that you can do nothing about death or about the loss of this person in your life that you will never have a mother again or a father again or you know that there is this endless, vast emptiness stretching out in front of you. And I found that um, doing something about it, you know, even if it's that kind of like, that's kind of a wordplay thing. You're not doing anything about it. You're not fixing it, but you're doing something about it. You're doing, you're doing a a piece of work that is in tribute to it, or that is a wreath to lay at the foot of of the person that you have lost, or, Mm -hmm. or there's something that you can make of it, yes. it takes some of the, the helplessness away. Yeah. Obviously, you still can't address the, the core 
of the grief, but it, it's it takes away that feeling of just wringing your hands on the sidelines. You, you, mm. You're at least rearranging the furniture or, you know, you're, you're doing something. something. And, and that I think, you know, turning that, turning that overwhelming awfulness into something and, and ideally into a gift that you can give to others, which right. I feel Savage is. It's simultaneously a sort of a, a tribute to my mother and it's a gift that I can give to other people that will help them in their grief or that will give them perspective that will, you know, uh, even if it's just that it gives them a laugh, even if they miss all of the other parts of the show, um, then I, I can give them something as well. Tell me about the feedback you've heard on the show. So far with Savage, um, so... I have not had any negative feedback, which is sort of astonishing for a piece of work. Oh, that's come on, imposter syndrome. <laughs> well, but you you know what I mean. Like I assume there are people who don't like it, and to, for whom it is not to their taste. You know, there's people who just want very lighthearted comedy, sure. and and that's a legitimate thing. But they keep it to themselves, <laughs> uh, which has been nice because I don't I don't think, and it is a terrible thing to say for someone who's put this out in the public eye. But I don't think I could take criticism on Savage. I um, it would make me very angry. Yeah. Um, which you know you probably shouldn't put things out in the public that you're not willing to have uh, criticized. But that said, um, I get emails still um, every single day, um, many emails from people who have uh, connected with the show. Who've it's really moving, like it's incredibly moving because Savage means so much to me. I really wanted it to work as as a piece of craft as a piece of art I really wanted it to have this function mm -hmm. of making people feel um that by seeing me they were seen yeah. that there was something in the, in them recognizing something in my show that they felt recognized um and I get those emails every day and it, it is an incredible thing and you know people from all walks of life, people of all different levels of, of fame sort of somehow find this show or share it with their friends or, you know, I got, I got this incredible email from a um, 14-year-old boy. Really? And he said he and his school friends, boys, were watching my comedy and he said normally they watch female comedians and they sort of make fun of them and of their bodies and, you know, that's a fun teenage boy thing to do. Okay. And he said they were all sitting there crying Oh, and I thought, you know, I have a twin brother. I I know fourteen year old boys. Like I I I knew a lot of fourteen year old boys when I was fourteen, and that is the most astonishing confession sure of is. vulnerability that I've ever heard. And that was really like mm. mind mind blowing. Yeah, I think because people can put try to put themselves in your shoes and think, what if I was losing my mom? You know, what would that feel like? And and you just captured it in such a way that it, it did really grab us by the heart. Thank you. Yeah, that, that whole, so Savage is the first in a, a, a trilogy, um, which I put out as a free podcast. Um, there's only two of them have been filmed and um, 
you can get Savage on Amazon Prime and you can sometimes get the resistance on Amazon Prime, depending on what geolocation you're in. But um, that trilogy was, to me, it was all about that. It was, it was all about, yeah, recognition and humanity. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. Have you watched it? Um, recently, like, do you, do you go back and watch it and think, look what I captured, look what I did? So, uh, no, I, I can't bear to watch myself really on screen, except, um, so I can listen to it sometimes, uh, if I need to pull out an extract for another project. Uh, and (laughs) this lady, uh, asked me to set it up for her. So she wanted to watch the whole thing. Um, so I had to, she didn't understand the technology. She, she's a family friend and I had to set that up for her. And that was, you know, it's a mildly embarrassing experience in watching <laughs> someone watch you. Um, but yeah. yeah, so, you know, I, I don't, I don't tend to go back and, and watch it. Um, but if I do, I don't hate it, which is nice. Do you find certain generations like it more than others or just, well, it sounds like everybody likes it because if you have 14 year old boys loving it. I, I think they were probably an exception. I think they wouldn't probably self-select not t- to watch it. Um, <laughs> and uh, I told a, a male friend of mine about these 14-year-old boys and he was like, what is that? what's happened to the new generation? They've all turned into wimps. Um, and I was like, no, I think it's beautiful because I do. I really think it is beautiful. And it I is. think it's a fantastic thing that that younger generation is able to sit together and, and have a bit of a weep. Um, so but... It, yeah, it does seem to be quite quite a broad demographic that has um, found it and enjoyed it. But it's very odd because people stumble on it. It's not, you know, it's not publicised. I don't have a big agency or anything like that pushing me. So no, you don't. You no. don't. Okay. Well, I'm certainly going to spread the word. Um, I, I want. So to- I. <laughs> I got it because I got it because. Um, quite a famous author heard the podcast that I'd put out for free after I'd finished doing the show live. I recorded it and put it out because I didn't want it to die. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the tradition of the festival shows is you do a new one every year and the old ones just disappear into the past. And I sort of wanted this one to be kept uh, available. Um, so uh, this quite famous author listened to it and then phoned me and said hey do you mind if I put your name forward to Amazon Prime because he'd just done a project there and he was sort of their golden boy I sort of (laughs) it was a pretty um amazing thing but yeah no I definitely don't have a big agent or anything amazing I wanted to ask you when you're on stage do you also ad lib a little or do you hit certain beats because you know you want to hit certain jokes but because you seem like you could you could just be ad-libbing and be funny because this is who you are. So it depends on the audience. It depends on the night. Yes. Um, I think, it, yeah, it really does. So mm-hmm. comedy is so much uh, about the audience in the room. I was very um, wary and reluctant to put my comedy on screen because I think it has this flattening effect and there's things that I took out of the live show for the filming because they were necessary in the room, but not necessary in the filming, in part because of this level of emotional intensity difference. It's much more intense in the room. So in the original show, the live show, I have songs. Oh. Um, because they, you, I need to break up the tension. Right. 
um, for the audience because otherwise it's just too much. Whereas on screen, it, it is less than that. So I didn't need to have the songs to break it up. It's still a very intense experience, but you have this distance between you and the screen. Because um, the audience is your instrument. You play them every night and they're a different instrument every night. They might yes. be the same sort of family. They might all be string instruments, but you pick it up and you have to figure out the balance and you have to figure out the 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 vibe and and the story you want to tell you want them all you want every different audience to get essentially the same story but in order for them to get the same story you need to tell it differently yes um so i was i was brought up buddhist burmese buddhist in a very sort of specific little tradition and one of the things that my father always used to say about the buddha was that he would tell people uh, the Dharma, the teachings, in language that they could understand, using metaphors that they could understand. So if you ever look at the discourses of the Buddha, he's in a certain place and he's talking to a particular kind of person and he'll use the metaphors that are relevant to their situation. He was a really good teacher. Okay. Um, so I think that sort of has sunk into my head in terms of treating the audience as the people they are rather than who I wish they would be. I like that. Well, I think it also makes you a really good listener because if you say something and people laugh, you you recognize that giggle factor, you know? So like an improv, when, when um, something is said and it's funny, the improv, the, the uh, person hosting the improv might go back and say that line again, just to get a giggle again out of the audience. You know what I mean? Yeah, and it's not just whether they laugh, it's how they laugh. How they I react. Yeah. So there's this, you can tell a discomfort laugh from an enjoyment laugh. You right. can when you're on stage. You can feel yeah. the, that they're yeah. laughing begrudgingly, that they're not, you know, that you're losing them. This might, if you make them laugh, if you make them laugh at this because it's a well-structured joke, um, they might, that might be the last time you get them to laugh because they feel upset that they've been made to laugh. It's one of the, one of my kind of pet peeves is this recurring debate of uh, it's, it's offensive so it can't be funny or it's funny so it can't be offensive. You see this happening um, again and again and again of like right. some comedian cr crosses a line, says an offensive joke and is reprimanded by saying that's not funny and defends themselves by saying, yeah, it is funny, people were laughing. Right. Therefore, it can't be offensive. Whereas the, the reality is... Those are two completely separate things. You have yeah. moral good and you have you have kind of a structural craft good. Mm -hmm. If you structure a joke correctly, if you have the rhythm right, if you've built the tension right, it will be funny. People will laugh. Right. Uh, there's if, if it's directly offensive, if it's directly an attack, you might not laugh. Um, but if you if you're not of the group being attacked, you might laugh and then mm -hmm. hate the person for having made that joke funny right. because it's not a good joke it's a moral wrong that they have made you complicit in by making you laugh because the the rhythm and the structure of the joke was such that you laughed they surprised yeah. you or they startled you or they you know whatever it happens to be and anyone who knows a woman or who has spoken to a woman or who is a woman knows the kind of laugh that it means please stop right I'm not comfortable yes I'm trying to pacify you but I don't want to be in this situation so to pretend that 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 laughter is just laughter and it doesn't have a kind of a conversational meaning, I think, is is disingenuous. Mm -hmm. uh, 
one thing I wanted to say was, I feel like maybe not now, but later on, you could really teach a great class in this. You really could. I would love to. Oh, you would be amazing because you could teach the writing aspect, the improv, the feeling comfortable because you have, you've had so many different experiences. I mean, I came from a corporate training and development background and I was so bored. So I understand wanting to fulfill that creative fire in you and do something else because you just weren't feeling it at that job. But you, mm. you are the prime example of it's life is not linear. I always tell people, especially younger people that are upset right now because of COVID and their internships or jobs are no longer. I say, don't worry, take different experiences because it's okay to go from here, there and everywhere. Sometimes it all blends together. Yes, one of the most interesting things about working uh, for myself as a comedian um, is that if you're, you know, decent at school, you t get told every year that you've graduated and how well you've done and then you get offered a job and that's a good job and then you get offered a promotion and you get told every step of the way when you are allowed to move forward with your life. Yeah. Uh, and that is incorrect. Right. Um, and ideally, you want to fail as early and as often as possible so that you realize that there is nobody who gets to tell you when you can take the next step or which direction you ought to be moving, that you should be able to figure that out for yourself. Because if you keep doing well, people will keep telling you that you're allowed to do this next cool thing, that you're allowed to get this next prize, this next graduation, this next right. you know moment of prestige. Which is not to say don't get qualified, absolutely get qualified, pursue the right. things you're interested in and, and, and prestige is lovely. But to allow yourself not just to be guided by it, but to be dominated by it, to be controlled by it, to have somebody say, well, you're allowed to move on next year. That's when you're allowed to be a good lawyer or, you know, right. a real lawyer or a real whatever it happens to be. It's stupid. It is stupid. You just do the thing. Yes, so what I hear you saying is rejection is good, failure is good, because you end up having to figure things out on your own. Yes, and you will find if you really want to get somewhere that there is usually another way there. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, my little, I have a little, little motto, uh, which is not true for doctors, but okay. <laughs> is true for comedians, uh, which is no one's going to die. We're all going to die. Mm, yeah. So we are so lucky, you know, in this modern world, less so with the pandemic, but as a general rule, um, if I fail at work, I'm humiliated and embarrassed. And I don't get an opportunity or I don't get paid. Nobody dies. Right. What an incredible thing. I get to hit the reset button and play the game again tomorrow. Yes. It's, you know, it's Mario Kart. What This is the virtue of living in the modern world, you know. Right. You used to be, if you were my age, you'd be a grandmother or dead. You'd have, you know, 50% of people died in childbirth. It's ridiculous right? to have a world where we get to try and fail and try again. And the thing about privilege is that you should use it. If you have that privilege, if you are lucky enough to be able to do interesting stuff, do it. Don't be, don't be held back from it by this fear of failure because no one's going to die. And then on the other hand, everyone's going to die. So get on with it. Yes. <laughs> like, everyone's going to die. Going. We're going to die. Just right. do it. <laughs>
Definitely. Um, so uh, I have little merch uh, necklaces on my website. If everyone's going to die, uh, no one's going to die. Um, <laughs> just to remind myself that that's, um, that's my approach at any rate. As I said, not relevant if you're a doctor. What do you think makes you... I was going to say so wise, you might not think of yourself as so wise, but I do. Do you think it's also because you grew up Buddhist? I mean, you have this depth to you. Um, I, that's a very interesting question. I tend not to think of myself as wise. I, I do think of myself as thoughtful. Mm. I'm interested in things and I'm interested in communicating things. I'm interested in, like for me, one of the, one of the best feelings in the world is having an idea when yeah. you when you get something where that light bulb goes off and you're like oh you figure it out there's this connection here or this way of yeah. looking at something that changes um you know like if you're in a suburb that you know and you arrive in another suburb that you know but you didn't know they joined up at that street right. and yes. all of a sudden the maps rearrange themselves in in your mind and you're going Aha. love <laughs> yeah ah this, it all the whole thing mm -hmm. the perspective shifts yeah. and you can have that in a negative sense as well where you discover that somebody who you thought was one way was actually sneakily another way and it changes everything you ever thought about Definitely. the way that they were behaving yeah all of the excuses that you made or the way that you perceived how they were behaving all of a sudden gets recast mm -hmm. those moments are my favorite moments in the whole world even the negative ones where you suddenly realize that things weren't as you thought they were um and I love that feeling so much. And I want to give that to other people. Um, so I don't know if that comes across as wisdom, but it's a, certainly <laughs> an, attempt, an attempt to understand the world and to share the world. It's definitely wisdom. Absolutely. Where can people find out more about you? I think you probably said it earlier, but let me throw it out again. Uh, well, um, I have a website, alicefraser.com. I have a Patreon, patreon.com slash alicefraser, which is where I do a weekly tea salon where we sit and talk about difficult ideas. And I also, that's a one-stop shop for all of my ridiculous number of podcast projects that I have going on at any given time. So uh, I'm also on uh, Twitter and Instagram at, at alliterative, A-L-I-T-E-R-A-T-I-V-E. I've thrown Facebook to the dogs. I can't do it anymore. I know a lot of people are like that too. Tell me about your podcast briefly. You said you have a lot of them. I have a lot of podcasts. So I have a weekly podcast called Tea with Alice, where I talk to interesting people about difficult ideas. Okay. I have a weekly podcast called The Gargle, which is a spin-off of a satirical news show. It's a satirical news show, but without any of the politicians, because I got sick of writing Trump jokes. Yes. And... Uh, I have a monthly podcast called The Last Post, which is is the second season of my daily satirical news podcast set in an alternate dimension, but we're doing it monthly now because 366 days in a row was enough. Yes. Uh, I, I also have a couple of documentaries up on Audible um, that are on various things, including meditation, work-life balance, um, and wellness. Oh, I love that. I'm going to have to check that and out. Habit Change. Habit Change was the one. That was a bestseller. That's mm. a good one. Fantastic. I think it, it's not really a bestseller. It was, it's free if you're an Audible <laughs> subscriber. <laughs> we'll say it's a bestseller. Yeah, but it did well. It did well. Lots of people downloaded it. Okay, wonderful. Well, thank you so much. I really enjoyed this. It was great meeting you, even if it was virtual. Thank you so much. It was really lovely to meet you too. Good luck with this project. It's a really good one. Thank you. <laughs>